Uh, well, please come in and take a seat. You are to have nothing on your desks except a pen and pencil. No other unauthorized devices are allowed, such as mobile phones or electronic devices of any kind. This is a one-hour exam. You have 10 minutes reading time. Your time starts now. Uh, I wonder what you're feeling as you hear those words. Uh, I'm guessing that some of us are quietly dying inside. Uh, we've all been in exams where we've been tested, haven't we, in uh, one way or another. Uh, the high school certificate, perhaps. Driving tests. Citizenship tests. Blood tests. And uh, we often feel a certain anxiety because we do not know how we will actually go <laughs> uh, at the end of this exam. Uh, well, in today's passage, uh, the Apostle Paul gives us an exam. Uh, if you have your Bibles open in front of you, you can see it there uh, in chapter 13, verse 5. Uh, in, in your Bibles, you'll find the chapter uh, in big numbers and uh, the verse in small numbers. Uh, so it's uh, chapter 13, verse 5. Paul says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Uh, for those of us joining us for the first time, uh, as, Sa as Sam mentioned, we've been looking at the book of 2 Corinthians together. Uh, it's a letter in the New Testament, uh, part of the Bible. It was written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, it was written to a church in the Greek city of Corinth who were in danger of walking away from the faith. Why were they in such danger? Well, they were in danger because they had become worldly in their thinking. Uh, they thought that genuine Christian ministry or genuine Christian work uh, needed to look impressive and triumphalistic. And so they were tempted to follow te the false teachers that looked impressive on the outside, but who did not teach them about the real Jesus. And so they were tempted to walk away from the Apostle Paul and follow false teachers. And so uh, much of 2 Corinthians is about Paul defending his Christian work because the Corinthians have actually been examining Paul's life. They've been looking at the Apostle Paul and saying, well, he doesn't quite measure up. He's not quite as impressive as what we first thought. And so he must not be a genuine minister of the gospel. But here, uh, notice that Paul actually turns the tables around. He says, don't examine me. I want you to examine yourselves. Uh, now, friends, uh, I'm aware that for some of us, uh, the mere mention of an exam uh, produces in us uh, a certain anxiety. Uh, is, that, is that true? Um, I see a lot of anxious-looking faces at the moment. Um, some of us, whenever we hear the word exam, have already decided that we're going to fail. <laughs> uh, and so there might be some of us in this room uh, that are feeling like this at the moment. Um, you know, these are the people who come out of the exam room and moan about how awful they, they, they performed in the exam. Uh, they, t they tell you about all the mistakes they've made. Uh, they tell you that they're sure they're going to fail. Uh, I wonder whether you've met any of these people before. 
Uh, they're usually the people who, who you find out later, you know, have received a high distinction or something like that, but uh, they've already decided that they're going to fail. Uh, others of us have the opposite problem, don't we? Uh, we walk out of the exam room full of confidence, and we think that we've passed the exam with flying colours, but in actual fact, uh, we've ignored all the evidence to the contrary. Uh, we haven't studied, uh, we haven't put in much effort, uh, we're just full of delusion. Uh, but friends, uh, for those who are feeling anxious at Paul's mention of an exam, uh, I want you to see that this exam is quite unlike uh, uh, all the other exams that we've probably been in. And uh, there are two reasons, I think, uh, for this. Uh, firstly, uh, notice that Paul's test is not about how to get into the faith. Uh, Paul's test is not about how to get into the faith. It's not about how to get into something, which is uh, usually why we, we uh, sit exams. Uh, it's not about being good enough to be saved by God. No, uh, it's written to those who are already professing to be Christians, professing faith in Jesus. Uh, it's written to people whom Paul calls the church of God uh, in the very first verse of the letter. Uh, it's written to people who are showing some sign of uh, growing in their faith, how, uh, no matter how slow that might be. And it is to these people that Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Uh, secondly, uh, I want you to notice that this is a test where the examiner is actually on your side. Uh, I still remember how scared I felt uh, going for uh, my driving test. Um, I arrived at what was then called the RTA, and uh, I was met by this uh, large lady uh, who didn't know how to smile. Uh, she had just this big clipboard in her, ha in her hand, and she sat next to me, and I was convinced that she wanted me to fail. And I did. <laughs> um, but here, did you notice that the examiner is not really like that? Uh, the Apostle Paul actually wants these Corinthians to pass the exam. Uh, and you can see it in a number of different ways here. Uh, firstly, uh, notice he describes himself as a father who loves his children and would give anything for their good. And so, for example, have a look with me at chapter 12, verse 14. Uh, chapter 12, verse 14, he says, uh, Here for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? Uh, secondly, uh, Paul is the master builder who is interested in building up the Corinthian church rather than tearing them down. Uh, have a look with me at verse 19, chapter no, uh, 12, verse 19. He says, uh, Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ, and all for your upbuilding, he says. 
Uh, or come down with me to chapter 13, verse 10. Chapter 13, verse 10. Uh, For this reason I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in the use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. And finally, he is the prayerful minister or pastor who is not interested in making himself look good, but he's actually interested in the Corinthians, the spiritual welfare of the Corinthian church. And so have a look at uh, chapter 13, verse 7. Chapter 13, verse 7. But we pray to God that you may do what is right. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. But friends, uh, what is the test? What is the test? Paul, the examiner, has come around and he's placed an exam paper in front of each of us. Uh, what do we actually find on the paper? Well, you can see it there in chapter 13, verse 4. Uh, here is the test. Chapter 13, verse 4. For he, that is Jesus, was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Uh, Notice that there are two parts to this test. Uh, Firstly, weakness. Uh, Have you embraced a crucified saviour, says the Apostle Paul. Have you embraced a crucified saviour and a ministry that looks weak? Uh, Paul says in 13 verse 4 that Jesus was crucified in weakness. Now, friends, if you were there 2,000 years ago witnessing the death of Jesus on the cross, it would have looked like an utter catastrophe, a a tragedy of the greatest proportions. But what God says is that what looks like weakness is actually God's strength. What looks like failure is actually God's greatest achievement. And what looks like utter defeat is actually God's greatest victory. For it is at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ that God triumphed over his enemies. He triumphed over his enemies of sin and death and the devil so that all those who put their trust in Jesus will be forgiven and set free to live a new life in Christ. But notice, friends, that the apostle Paul who brings this message that looks weak, this this message of the cross, himself looks rather weak. Did you notice that? For Paul says in the same verse, he says, for we also are weak in him. In other words, the authentic minister of the good news of Jesus is also somebody who displays weakness in their life. Uh, I've got a group of friends uh, that I went to uh, Bible college with uh, many years ago. Uh, they're all in different parts of Sydney now and uh, different parts of the world, uh, teaching the Bible to people. 
we get together from time to time uh, just to catch up and, uh, uh, and pray for one another and encourage one another. And uh, the last time we caught, caught up, uh, we decided to send uh, regular emails to one another uh, so that we can, you know, uh, see what we're up to and so that we can pray for one another. In the past few emails, uh, I learned that one of my friends is suffering from a debilitating illness. Uh, another one is suffering bouts of depression. Uh, a few more are finding it hard to keep their jobs for various reasons. Uh, I know others who are having difficulties with their children and difficulties with their marriage. And uh, I thought to myself this week, uh, what a weak bunch of people we really are. And yet, God continues to help my friends to keep on proclaiming the message of Jesus, the good news of a crucified saviour who looks so weak. And yet, to those who are being saved from God's anger and wrath at sin, this message is the most powerful thing there is. Uh, have you embraced a crucified saviour and a ministry that looks weak? It's an important question to ask, I think, because we're often tempted to look for more impressive ministries, aren't we? Uh, we often think that if it were up to us, well, there are all sorts of things that we could do better. Sometimes the ministries that we are involved in look very unimpressive. But the question God is asking here is, have you embraced weakness? Have you embraced a crucified saviour and a ministry that may look weak, but in actual fact is God's power, because at its heart is the gospel, the good news of Jesus that sets people free? Uh, secondly, power. The second part of this test is, have you embraced the power of God? You know, the wonderful news of Christianity is that after Jesus died for our sins, well, he didn't stay dead. But rather, God raised him powerfully to be the, to be the Lord and Master of all things, including you and me. And so, Paul says in uh, chapter 13, verse 4 again, For he was crucified in weakness, but he lives by the power of God. And it is this powerful Jesus who gives authority to his apostle, who demands change from the people that he ministers to. Uh, in the same verse, Paul says, For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. In other words, friends, what Paul is asking here is, has there been real change in your life and in my life? Has there been real change? Has God powerfully worked in your life to change you? It's a very confronting question, I think, isn't it? 
And sometimes I, I think it's hard to be objective about these things. Uh, some of us have uh, fairly uh, tender consciences and uh, we can think that there has been no change in our lives, uh, even though uh, there has actually been change. And so uh, we may have to ask an honest friend, uh, perhaps even today, um, just ask them, uh, have I changed in your opinion? Have you noticed change in me? But the fact of the matter is that just because somebody professes faith, it doesn't mean that they are Christian. Just because somebody professes faith, it doesn't mean they are Christian, nor saved. For a Christian is someone who responds to the powerful word of the Lord Jesus Christ, spoken through his apostles, which for us is the Bible, so that there is genuine and real change in life. Now, this is exactly what Jesus says, isn't it, in what is perhaps the most sobering words of the entire New Testament. He says in Matthew's Gospel, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Has there been real change in your life? Are you somebody who seeks God's will in the scriptures and who is keen to uh, walk in a manner pleasing to him? Well, friends, uh, what is the change that Paul is seeking in the lives of the Corinthians? Uh, well, you can see it there in chapter 12, verse 20, can't you? Uh, chapter 12, verse 20, uh, Paul lists the things that he wants the Corinthians to turn away from. Uh, he lists sins, for example, that express hatred towards others. Things like quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility. Uh, he lists sins of the tongue, slander, gossip. He lists the sin of pride, conceit, which produce, produces disorder. He lists sexual sins impurity, sexual immorality, or, sec or sexual expression outside of heterosexual marriage, sensuality. Uh, you know, friends, the tragic thing about all this is that these were all sins that the Corinthians were engaging in when Paul wrote his previous letter in 1 Corinthians. And Paul's fear is that the Corinthians have not been repentant. They haven't turned away from these things. They have not changed. They have not made progress. Uh, of course, this doesn't mean that Paul demands sinless perfection from the Corinthian church. But it does mean that if there has been no change in a Christian person's life for a long time, if God's word is repeatedly met with unrepentance, then it does call into question that person's salvation, doesn't it? But friends, uh, I reckon that we see evidence of change uh, all the time at, at Church at Nine. Uh, I've seen people who used to cause a lot of conflict at church beginning to care for and love other people. I've seen people who've been sexually immoral in the past, living faithfully in the area of their sexuality, 
because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, in my own life, uh, one of the things that changed uh, fairly quickly when I first became a Christian uh, is the way I use my tongue. Um, if, if uh, for those of you who knew me in, in high school and my uni days, uh, I had a fairly foul mouth. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I used to swear a lot. Um, I used to tell j dirty jokes. Um, it was fairly common in my life. But all that changed very quickly as Jesus took charge. Uh, how is it that change is possible, friends? Uh, how, how is it that change is actually possible? Uh, well, I'll tell you how it's not possible. Uh, it's not possible simply by trying to be good people. Uh, it's not possible simply by trying to uh, you know, increase our moral effort. You know, if we just try a little bit harder to be a little bit better in our life, uh, you know what happens after a while. We just try for a little while and then we just give up, don't we? Uh, it's a bit like going to the gym. Uh, you know, uh, I, I've signed up to the gym a number of times. Uh, every time I did, uh, I, I signed up with fairly good intentions. Um, you know, uh, it'll be good for me, I say. And uh, I might go for a little while, but then I realise it's painful, and I realise I need to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning, and uh, I lose motivation, and I simply give up. Uh, no, what the Bible says is that real change is possible when you and I begin to follow Jesus and Jesus himself comes to live in us through his spirit. It is actually Christ in us who is the engine of change. This is where the power to change comes from. Uh, it's not that effort is not required... Uh, resisting sin requires real effort. Seeing change in our lives requires real effort. But it is as we come to know this Jesus who comes and lives within us and as we learn to trust him and depend on him and ask him to change us that we will see real change. Uh, this is what Paul wants the Corinthians to know in chapter 13, verse 5. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith, test yourselves, or do you not realise this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Uh, I'm sure you've been to North Strathfield before. Um, hands up if you've been to North Strathfield, uh, the shops there, uh, many of us have. Uh, the main street there has changed uh, enormously over the years. Uh, there are beautiful... Uh, cobbled streets, uh, there are nice restaurants, uh, there are signs of life uh, everywhere you go on the main street. But anyone who knows the area would know that on that street used to stand, does anyone know what used to be there? It's the old um, Arnott's factory. It was a dilapidated biscuit factory. But what happened? Well, new owners moved in, didn't they? And when new owners moved in, 
they started to improve things. There was real change. Has this happened in your life? And my life? You see, this is what happens, isn't it? When the risen Lord Jesus takes residence inside people, he powerfully changes them. Uh, it is a work in progress, but there is progress. There is real progress and change as we turn away from sin and ignorance and rebellion against God and we begin to live a new life in him. Well, friends, time is up. Finish the last sentence you're writing. Put your pens down. Make sure that your name is on every page of the exam paper. Uh, you're free to go. Uh, that brings us to the end of Paul's exam at the end of 2 Corinthians. Uh, how did you go, I wonder? How did you and I go? Did you pass? Uh, did you meet the terms of the exam that Paul gives us? Uh, what Paul says in this part of God's word is that those who meet the test are the ones who embrace a crucified saviour and the ministry of the gospel that looks weak, and those who meet the test are those who know the power of the risen Lord Jesus as he powerfully works in our life to change us. Now, did you meet this test? Well, if you did, then Paul says at the very end of the letter that what you can expect are things like joy and comfort and peace and the presence of God in your life. But those who do not meet the test are the ones who do not embrace weakness, are the ones who uh, don't embrace a crucified saviour. And it is for those for whom the profession of faith in Christ is just sort of lip service. And what does Paul say to these people? Well, he says that when he next visits Corinth... Uh, they can expect him to be severe. They can expect discipline from the apostle. You know, he's done it before by expelling the unrepentant sinner from church, if you remember, in 1 Corinthians 5. Uh, he loves the church too much to leave sins undealt with. Uh, now, friends, uh, I realize that uh, uh, this is a very heavy passage. Um, but it is there at the end of uh, 2 Corinthians. Um, and I realise this morning that we have a number of guests uh, joining us for the first time, and it's uh, wonderful to have you with us. And uh, I want to say to you that I hope uh, that as you've interacted with people in our church, that you've actually seen people who have been changed uh, by the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, weak people who have come to know a powerful saviour and have been deeply affected by him. And uh, I hope and pray that you also will want to find out more about this Jesus, the one that we follow. He is the one who died on the cross uh, to take the punishment that our sins deserved so that we might be forgiven. He is the one who was powerfully raised to life to be our Lord who gives us hope of new life that stretches into all eternity, a new life that begins now 
when we start to follow him as Christ begins to change us. Uh, will you follow this saviour together with us? Uh, will you keep on coming back and listening to uh, teaching about this Jesus who is our Lord and who is our saviour? Let's pray.